When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the eighth episode of Kiwi and the Bird Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we're going to go into an in-depth discussion about the mystical and spellbinding Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin. Now, as we discuss everything, and I mean everything, here is your one and only... Spoiler Spoiler alert! Kami, would you like to give us a spoiler alert sound effect? I think I can do that. Spoiler alert! This is your one and only spoiler alert! And now, on to the show. Now, the first character that you meet in the book is Lou. And my first impression of her isn't a first impression that I typically get in YA novels. The very first thing that I thought about her was, oh wow! You are very confident in your sexuality. Very first thing. And that's not typically something that you see in a heroine, especially like right off the bat. So I was like, you know what? Props to you. Props to you for having that. Because I don't. I (laughs) certainly do not. I think that's a great way to describe Blue in general is just confidence. She's a very confident character. And even though she and all of us have our flaws and our weaknesses and our hardships, she is and will always be that person who knows who she is and what she wants and how she hopes to achieve it. I think Lou is a steady, consistent character. In the story, I don't know personally if she exactly has an arc. Like, I don't know if she necessarily learns something, but I'm still invested in her character and, I, and I'm and i concerned about what happens to her. She is a likable character. She is very likable. And I think... She gives a great life and light to the story. You couldn't have Serpent and Dove without Lou. Lou is integral to the heart of what it is. It's about witches and the fire that burns inside of them. Rather than the stake that, you know, burns the outside of them. (laughs) Uh, Medium well, sir? (laughs) No, keep it rare. Oh, that's a little dark, sorry. (laughs) Um, with Lou, I feel like she was probably one of the most consistent things in the story. Once she wanted something, I was like, I'm gonna get that. And, and with that, what I said earlier about her not having learned anything, I more so mean that I think Lou is what helped the other characters in the story to learn something. I think through Lou, Reed learned who he wanted to be. I think through Coco in Lou, she finds the friend that she is. Oh, so she's kind of like, Lou is, actually, I very much agree with the statement I'm about to say. (laughs) Because why wouldn't I? I'm going to say it. But I think that Lou is very much like the center of the universe. Yeah. She is the catalyst to everything else. With some characters, I feel like they should have learned something, you know, like, oh, I wish they would have had an arc. With Lou, I didn't necessarily feel that. No, I kind of just liked her being. 
I liked how her steadiness changed the things around her. Now, with this, with Lou's confidence that she so presently exudes in every aspect and in every chapter of the story, it confused me a bit in the end, where she learns that her dad is the archbishop, and they're both being held hostage by her witchy mother, and she's prompted to ask her dad something, and Lou ultimately asks him something along the lines of, would you love me or would you ever love me? And I found that question interesting for her to ask because I felt like she never needed that validation. Because in which culture, the father just kind of seems like a throwaway figure because they're magicless. So it doesn't necessarily matter who they are because the witches don't get their power from them. And to me, it wasn't like Lou was struggling in the story with who her father was. She wasn't saying, oh, even though it's not normal, I wish I knew who my father was or I wish I had my father's love. I know that in a sense she she craved her mother's love because she mentions that a little bit in the end, but I found it interesting that she cared enough to ask the archbishop that. With Lou's character, she is a very bright, very forward, very blunt person, but she does have this side to her that she doesn't like to show people. It's that part of her that hides all of her traumas, all of her past, and she doesn't like opening up to people, not truly. And so near the end of the book, when Reed is basically like, um, I hate you, you're a witch, you're everything I despise, blah, 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 she kind of spirals into this depressive state, especially since she is captured by her mother, and she basically asks her mother, do you love me? And her mother says, no, which, I mean, hard, right? Oof. (laughs) Um, So in a way, I can see why Lou would want someone to love her because she feels like no one does. But again, like you, I question why she would ask the archbishop. Like, I understand he's her father, but she never really had anything to do with him up until, what, like a month or two before. But you brought up an interesting point, though, that I hadn't thought of before, in that Reed had just said to her, whoa, I could never be with you, you're a witch. And her mother said, I will never love you, you're just an object, a tool I will use to succeed. That that makes sense why she would ask the father, do you, she's saying, am I so unlovable? You just blew my mind. Because I never thought of it like that. I never considered that. I still think it's a little out of character, though. I think that the fact that it was said to the archbishop was maybe a little random. But now I can understand because of what you presented why she would. Because her heart was shattered by her mother. Her heart was shattered by Reed. And so if her father could say, yes, you you are my child. I don't care that you're a witch. I will love you no matter what because you are my blood that would give her at least some sort of sense that, okay, at least someone in this world can love me. Some sort of, like, validation. Huh. Dang. If you listen really softly, you could hear my head explode. It's very soft. (laughs) Um, If you listen really carefully, you can hear the air going through my head. (laughs) Okay, your head is so full of geniusness, though, so that's a lie. Uh, Not when this thing starts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, when, when Lou 
broke her fingers in the beginning just to perform those little spells. I was like, <gasps> oh my goodness, this, this girl don't care. She's like, okay. <laughs> uh, I stubbed my toe and I called the ambulance. It had the same vibe for me as that part in one of the Insidious movies where the girl has broken legs, but she's possessed. And so she has to walk on her broken legs. And it was just all sorts of cringe. But not like like the awkward cringe, but like the I'm fearing for my body cringe. But she was like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta do this. Gotta do this. Gotta do this. I'm like, girl, you don't have that many fingers. <laughs> You're just going through them. But I loved that idea with the magic. How in order to gain, you must lose. But it's also so loophole Like, the idea that if I want someone to lose all of their possessions, then I lose all of mine. But you could have two possessions while the other person could have hundreds. You know, mm-hmm. there's that loophole, like, all for all. It's not necessarily equal, but it's balanced. I like how you can bend the magic to your desires. It's kind of like being a lawyer to your magic. Hmm. Defendant? <laughs> Judge? I like the idea of blood magic. Oh, that was so cool. That was really cool. Also, it's handy because you always have blood on you. I know, but you have to, like, cut yourself all the time. Which, I mean, like, that's how they know you're a blood witch, because, like, also, I have a question. Is the blood from, like, your jugular more magical than the blood from, like, your wrist? From what I understand, from what we've read, no. Because it's all the same blood. Like, the blood in your throat is the same blood in your hand. Oh. Now, I think, though, that different blood has different purpose like remember coco used the blood of a hound oh right so oh yeah So different blood has different property oh so a blood witch can use more magic than blood within her she can use the blood of other people she used hound oh yeah and she yeah okay now my question is does the quantity of blood give you more power so like if i cut a little cut on myself does that give me a little power versus if I cut a huge gash? Would that give me a lot more power? Hmm. If Coco's on her period, oh. is she at like maximum strength? <laughs> like, whoa, girl. Everyone's like, watch out. It's her time of the month. <laughs> Actually, though, that is like. That's a question. I mean, it, <laughs> it's sincere. <laughs> That's not just a joke. I am curious. <laughs> I did like that. The way that they described a witch's magic was that, yeah, there might be similarities, but since every witch is different, every witch's magic is different. Like, it's very much attuned to who the witch is, like, from whom she was born, where, just like this, the whole identity of a witch, basically. Well, we all cook the same dish differently. Wow. That's just me being hungry. I just burn it. (laughs) Like, legitimately? You and me who burn top ramen, <laughs> we'd be the worst freaking witches. Well, I think it's one of the most interesting aspects of the story, and it's almost kind of fairy tale-like, I'd say, is the dynamic Lou shares with her mom. Oh. Her mom's the witch of all witches. She's this badass who created Lou, who gave birth to Lou in order to take down two enemies, which, I mean, that's that's smart. 
She was a strategist. That woman was intelligent. Like, she condensed all her problems. So, she she was so good at killing two birds with one stone that I was like, maybe Lou, she put a lot of work into this. Maybe just <laughs> let her kill you. <laughs> maybe you should have just died. I mean, the whole, like, intelligence of it was just worth it. I mean, I feel like you gotta respect that. You have to respect the intellect. But I liked how you have that intimacy of... My mom tried to kill me. I'm running from her so that she can't do it again. The fear is that her own mom will kill her. Which, first I'd suggest Dr. Phil. And then maybe some therapy. Yeah. Well, Dr. Phil would be the therapy. He's not a very good one, though. Oh. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Phil's like, um, what the heck? (laughs) I... Regarding Lou and her mom, I think it was just interesting because in these types of stories, it's typically between a father and the son. So I thought it was interesting to see that the main protagonist had an issue with her mother. And I liked that, especially with the witch's culture, just because it is so women-based. Like, even the religion, it's like the triple goddess. I loved that. I loved that the, the take on that. Like, it was the maiden, the mother, and the crone. That's such an interesting concept for... A female-based religion. Because that is something that they would worship. So I just really liked the whole aesthetic of the witch culture. And the fact that it's just like so female-based. And that was just like something you don't see in YA. I also like how it's an inherent betrayal. The fact that the mom would kill Lou. Because like you said, witches are a female-driven society. The most important part what ensures your survival is keeping alive your female relationships with one another. And so the fact that you have one of those females turning on her own daughter, her offspring, her legacy, I think, I I haven't read that before. No. Though I was surprised that the other witches were just like, okay, with Morgan killing Lou. You would think that there would be at least some hesitancy in going, hey, she's one of our sisters, or hey, you know, we're all about keeping each other alive especially in these times of burnings why are we killing one of our own i mean i understand they're like oh to sacrifice one we save all but at the same time i mean like not one person was like hey you know maybe don't sacrifice your daughter (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) it would be hard if you grew up in an all-female society and you became sisters with everyone and then all those sisters turned on you and were okay with you dying. Like, no wonder Lou had trust issues. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm very surprised that she got into a relationship. Like, I get it. Like, you're married to this guy, un- basically unwillingly, but still, like, you create, you got into a relationship with this dude knowing he's a witch hunter and you have trust issues. So, how did this commitment work? Which happens. So I felt like the beginning of Serpent and Dove was really strong. And I was really into it. But then I felt things started to slow down in the middle of the book. Where it was just scene to scene of Lou and Reed trying to fall in love. And when I finished the book, I was thinking, why wasn't I into that? Why didn't I think that was enough to carry the middle of the story. And and I think I 
I've come to know why I didn't think it was enough to wholly enrapture me. And it's because you had Lou and Reed falling in love, but nothing outside of them was happening. In the beginning of the story, Lou is trying to steal Angelica's ring in order to hide from her mom. And at the end, her mom comes and steals her away, obviously, and tries to sacrifice her. But in the middle of the story, there's no immediate threat from the mom. There's no sensation of, oh my goodness, my mother's closing in on me. I need to run. I need to leave. Or like some sort of pressure and an, an antagonistic pressure on the story. There is no sensation of, I'm in danger. Actually, if anything, it felt like Lou didn't feel like she was in danger, which I felt took away the power of the mom's arrival. And I wished that more antagonistic scenes were included where, you know, maybe the mom sent some evil envoys and they found Lou and Reed had to protect her or Lou had to use her magic in front of them. And I know there was that scene with Estelle, but that was just Estelle mostly and not necessarily something the mother did. Like It didn't feel like the mother was doing anything. And so it felt like there's no reason for Lou to even need Angelica's ring in the first place. She didn't even really use Angelica's ring throughout the story, which I thought was a really cool idea, Angelica's ring. And so I just would have loved if Lou and Reed, if their romance was a little bit more condensed or forced, not forced together, but if they were guided together because of the things that were threatening them. Or I feel like, Shelby Mahern could have at least added some more, oh no, Reed is going to figure out I'm a witch moments. You know, there weren't a ton of moments where Lou was afraid that Reed was going to catch her. Like, she was never really put into a situation where he was going to find out until later in the book. And for a story about a witch and a witch hunter, you would expect that to be kind of looming over the romance as it's going on. And while if you have something like that that's looming over the romance it kind of like adds more adds more to it so I kind of wish she either did what you said add more like an antagonistic side or added more detail or pressure towards oh Rita's gonna find out that Lou is a witch yeah kind of like an outside threat with the mom and then an inside threat on their relationship yeah I felt like Lou was pretty easily able to disguise herself in the witch hunter tower Which, when she was first married to Reed, she was going, oh, this is not good. I'm going to get found out so quickly. This is a bad idea. This is not a good situation for me to be in. But then it turned out to be really easy for her to do that. Yeah. Like, no one... I It made me wonder why witches hadn't infiltrated the tower before. Because so long as they don't use magic, they're fine. Yeah. Or just... I wish she was put into more situations where she did have to use her magic. Because if yes. she had to use her magic, Reed probably would have figured it out. And then she'd have to figure out how to hide that and everything. And there was that moment where she where she had that conversation with Gru and, and Andre mm-hmm. in the blacksmith's shop. Where she kind of like kind of had to use her magic while Reed was coming in. And I thought, oh, tension, you know. But that wasn't... It was introduced a little bit too late. Like, the way that the romance was building, like, there are certain climaxes that come into a romance, and that one was kind of missed. This is going to sound bad, but there wasn't enough fear in the story. Fear for Lou of her mom finding her, 
fear that someone else was going to find out she was a witch. I just wish that. I think if there was that intensity, it would have made the romance a little bit more powerful to me because, and we talked about this before we started recording, but the middle did lull a bit. It did lull. It was just kind of romantic scene to romantic scene. To be honest, I didn't feel the chemistry between Lou and Reed probably because of that. Because there was so much action that was happening in the beginning and then they got married and then it just stopped almost. Because they got married and she's like, oh, I hate him, I hate him. And he's like, I hate her, I hate her. And then they have to slowly morph that into love. But see, that's the key, slowly. But it didn't quite happen that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand, too, that there was that moment with Estelle where Estelle tried to attack Reed and Reed was knocked out and Lou ultimately contained her. Reed ultimately had to burn Estelle at the stake. I totally get that. But it was a it was later in the story and it just wasn't enough of an antagonistic hamper. Or, yeah, or I feel like Lou didn't feel strongly enough about Estelle being burned that it showed in her relationship with Reed. Like, she did have a moment where she was like, she's a person, why can't you see that? But I feel like it, it wasn't quite enough for me. And in her mind, I'm pretty sure she said, I understand he's been raised this way, but this entire time she hasn't been afraid to battle him about the way he's been raised. So it's weird that she was like, oh, okay. Yeah, she was a little bit too okay with it, in my opinion. Yeah. And I wish, because here's another antagonist that I felt didn't really harm the story. Jean-Luc. I did not like the relationship between Jean-Luc and Reed. Because it's just said that they were really good friends. But that's not shown. We're, when we're introduced to Jean-Luc, it's to his jealous state. Yes. Not to the friend that Reed lost. Exactly. So when you see him, you just think, oh, he's an enemy. And so when Reed, like, hesitates with John Luke, you're like, why are you hesitating? You should witch slap the boy out. (laughs) Witch slap him hard. (laughs) So with that relationship, I just didn't quite understand. I didn't feel the weight of their relationship or the depth of their relationship. Supposedly, they grew up together and they were great friends because they were both orphaned at very young ages and so they had to be brought up by the church and everything and then things happened with jean luc we didn't get to see when they were friends and so because of that jean luc never felt like a friend we could never see that bond sour in luc's perspective you kind of saw more of her story and like she kind of told her story of like her past but reed never really had any of those flashbacks not really. And I think if she had, if the author had put in at least one flashback with him and Jean-Luc, that would have at least added a little bit more and you would have understood a little bit more of why Reed would be so hesitant to fight him or to go against Jean-Luc. And with Jean-Luc, you know, their bond has soured because Reed was promoted to captain and Jean-Luc wasn't. And in the middle of the book, I believe, Jean-Luc, it, it seems like, or at least this is kind of the sensation I got, that he kind of had an inkling that Lou was a witch. And so I thought that he would use that information or to try to get that identity out of her so he could leverage it to get a promotion, to get what he's always wanted, which is what Reed has. 
I thought that his jealousy would take him to there, to that point. Yeah, he could have been used as, like you said, another antagonistic person to try to out Lou. That was just one of the the potentials in the story that I wished would have been magnified a little bit. And I, I the sequel's out. I don't know what's in the sequel, but I felt in this story that it was set up, but it was never concluded. I, I will say, I did like at the end how um, Madame LaBelle, how she told Jean-Luc about where the witches were. And then Jean-Luc and his peeps came in. I was like, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, Jean-Luc! Jean-Luc! I don't know. Which is kind of funny because I'm like, I shouldn't be rooting for Jean-Luc. But I thought it was a cool scene. You know, they were like, yeah, witches! You know. He could have made a great captain. Well, okay. He could have made a great captain in terms of the chessers. But again, just the development with Jean-Luc. There was so much potential. Well, and it would have been... Nice to see the gravity of Jean-Luc's relationship with Reed if Reed had to confront him about something like with Lou. Like, hey, don't look into my wife anymore. I've heard of what you're doing. And then maybe that could open up into why aren't we friends anymore? Why did you let jealousy get ahead of you? And why are we here? And will you choose to continue on doing this? Yeah. Does power mean that much to you? I think it also, if Jean-Luc were to investigate Lou, it also would solidify the idea that the Chasseurs are to be feared, like witches should fear them. It's like what you said earlier, like why didn't the witches infiltrate earlier? Why didn't they infiltrate the Chasseur Tower and just take them down from the inside? I think if Jean-Luc were to investigate Lou, then it would just really just solidify that idea, like we can't go in there, we're going to be killed. Yeah, because at this point... I'm actually curious how, well, because the witches are so powerful. Shelby Mahurin wrote them out to be so powerful, which I love. I love powerful witches. But then how haven't they over overtaken the tower or these chasers? I mean, these chasers, and I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing <laughs> it wrong, <laughs> but these chasers are just teenage boys who can be find an old, one witch in an entire tower. So why haven't they taken these guys out sooner? I mean, I guess there is the the threat of the king and his army, as well as the Chasser, Chasher, Tabs, the 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 Chashers. <laughs> I can't say it anymore. But if she took one out, wouldn't it be easier to take out the other one? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it seems like it'd be pretty over. It would be pretty easy to overtake the Chasers, especially since there seems to be a lot of Dom Blanches. Yeah. And they're all over the world, so... And they're... And well, and Morgan herself is described to be so powerful. And even Reed at the beginning when he first meets her in the parade is like, oh, dang. Yeah. It seems like she could just go... And then you'd have an entire legion of dudes dead. Basically. I also really liked the idea that Lou mentioned in the story about witches and their magic that in order... When she... When Lou is first explaining about magic that you have to sacrifice something in order to gain something. And if you want something that's really powerful, there are things that you have to sacrifice. Maybe like your sanity or some memories. And I thought that is such a cool concept because in order to, in order to 
grasp your ambitions, you might have to lose something within yourself and then you become a different person. And I was like, I want Lou to do that. That would be cool. Well, and it's, it's just a cool idea in general. And I think it's a different take on magic. Well, okay, there's been ideas of magic, like you have to have balance. But the idea of that you have to sacrifice yourself, like to erase someone else's memories, you have to erase some of your own. That's cool. That is very cool. And it's, and it's a cool price because usually like the price to magic is that it's just, it makes you tired, you know, mm. or, oh, you need certain ingredient or whatever. But that's a cool, different price, a different sacrifice, a harder sacrifice. You have to be careful when you use magic. Yeah, it explains why magic isn't used all the time. But again, Morgan LeBlanc isn't the type of person to care about that. So why didn't you just go in and obliterate all of them? Yeah. I, I would have liked to watch that. Yeah. I would have sat on a rooftop and be like, yeah, witches! Woo! Did we just harmonize? Yeah. <laughs> Look at us. Coco was by far the best character. I needed way more Coco. I really did. The fact that she wasn't on every single page. Wow. <laughs> like, what an oversight. She is just... You know what's funny? Um, typically, in young adult books, whenever the protagonist has a female best friend, I actually don't usually tend to like that female best friend, or I just don't really connect with them. But I loved Coco so much. <laughs> Dude, she was like... She was there for Lou, and yet she was basically like, you know what, this isn't a good idea. Or, yeah, I totally support you. And I was like, yes, Coco, yes. <laughs> well, also, too, I felt like she just stole the show whenever she was in the book. Like, whenever she made an appearance, I was like, there she is. Welcome her in. Coco's here. Woo-hoo. You go, Gun Coco. Co-sent. She's also a badass. She totally is. And also, she's described as, like, having, like, dark skin and, like, beautiful black hair and having, like, a very voluptuous... I hate the word voluptuous. Voluptuous. Voluminous. Oh. Voluptuous. Voluptuous. Sure. Body. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just, just described as, like, very beautiful. And she knows it. She freaking knows it. hmm But then she's also, like, very... She's very intelligent. And she's a great witch. And she's just supportive. And she's everything I want to be. You know, you don't get to know a lot of details specifically about Coco in this book. You know, she's she's definitely more on the outskirts story-wise and what you know about her. But yet, it still feels like there's such a depth to her and that she's complex and that she kind of has like kind of that trickster vibe, but also she's loyal and she's there for you, but that she will get stuff done and she's a threat. <laughs> she absolutely is. I loved in the beginning of the book, her interact Coco's interactions with Baz. I was like, yeah. Because she knows that Baz is not good for Lou. Because he's like, I liked Baz as a character, but I, I agree, he's not good for Lou. Why? Because he will split the second he's in trouble. I mean, he's a weasel. He is. And Coco does not like him. And I get that. And she just like has these, like, this way of just like making snide little comments towards him. No, not even snide little comments. Snide big comments. <laughs> she just has such um, an effortlessness to her. Like, everything that she is is just... She doesn't have to try to be that. She just is. She's just cool. Yeah. I, will, I did not like that she just kind of disappeared, though. She did. 
Because she was in with Lou at the beginning with the heist. And she was at the end because she saved Lou. And then she mean, stabbed Morgan, which I was like, oh my god, just Coco! <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there was that moment where they found out who Coco was. Her relation. No, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, they figured out she was a witch. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she had to go away. And so Lou's like, I don't know when I'm ever going to see you again, but I hope I will. And we were like, oh, sad. No, don't go, Coco. Because, again, Coco's the best character. But then she comes back to the tower in disguise as a healer. And you're like, you go, Coco. You go. You got this. And then in the scene where Reed, Lou, and Coco go to the king's ball that was thrown for Reed, Coco ends up going off with the prince and then she's not seen for a good while until like she's needed for plot driving reasons. Yeah. She she just disappears and and I guess that her and Lou had a little bit of a fight. I I didn't personally read it as a fight. No. Coco was just basically saying, "Hey, don't be too stupid. You're married to a witch hunter. Just don't mess up and get found out." Don't get dead. Yeah. Which, reasonable. I, I would say. And, but I didn't feel like that was a spat where, like, it almost ended the relationship. No. And so for Coco to then disappear as if it was a fight like that was weird to me. And I missed her. I was like, you get her back right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it was almost an insult to her character because I was like, yeah, we're going to introduce her. We're going to take her away. And now we're just going to place her where she's convenient. Where she can come back and save the day, basically. For Reed, I'm not sure how much I liked him as a male protagonist. From his description, he sounds really hot. I mean, I, you know, I, I gotta give it to him. He's Is just... it just because he's tall? Tell me honestly. <laughs> <laughs> partly. Partly because he's very tall. Secondly, because he's just described as just this massive dude, right? He can also literally rip a dress off your body, which, yeah. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what I did like about his character was that since he was raised in the church, he did get very flustered and would blush very easily whenever Lou or anything was mentioned that was scandalous or explicit. Pants. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. He saw Lou wearing pants and he started blushing and I was like, boy, if you don't stop. <laughs> I swear she's wearing pants. But like, I, I, very much, I really liked that aspect. I thought that aspect was like kind of cute. Like, oh, I'm this huge dude, but I blush very easily and stuff. The one aspect I did not like was his whole wrath thing. One, because, like we talked about before, it was not very consistent throughout the book. But also, just, like, in my personal opinion, having this huge hulking guy have an anger issue tends more towards the scary side rather than anything else. I just couldn't really tell how much control he had over it. Like, I couldn't tell if at any moment he would burst or if he was chill. Yeah. He would do the, so in the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, he would count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and that would calm him down. 
And then in the middle of the book, he, he didn't really have that. Like you said, it wasn't consistent. He didn't, his anger just kind of dropped out of the story a bit. But I wasn't sure that if someone pushed him too hard, what would, what he would do. I was kind of worried like if Lou teased him a little too much or if she uh, learned about his past lover, you know, when she read his letters and stuff. I didn't know what he was going to do. I was like, it's okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning, you see the archbishop um, hit Lou. And then you see Reed become a little bit uncomfortable, like, oh, that shouldn't happen. And then the archbishop goes to hit her again, and he's like, no, you do not hit women. So I think the author tried to kind of soften his anger a bit by saying, no, he would never hit her. But the way that it was written, like, I wasn't sure of that. And also, though, it's kind of weird to me to have his anger not be... Like, I'm surprised it wasn't really talked about. Or... Like, his anger didn't play more of a part in the story, if that makes sense. Like, why would he have that trait to him? Like, what, where did that anger come from? You know, why is... From? Yeah, where did it stem from? How did he learn how to control it? Could Lou help him to control it? I mean, something like that where it's a little bit more dealt with. It's just kind of more in mentioning that he has anger... Not anger issues, but, like, he gets angry. I, I would say he has anger issues. He's better at controlling it, sure, but there, I would say there are issues. What I think is interesting about Reed, though, is that who he is, like the whole religious, oh, I get blushed by, I get blushed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I blush because of scandalous things. That's actually usually more of like a girl character, like stereotypically, the girl character is kind of the more religious flustered one so it was interesting to see the roles reversed and that it's a guy and the girl is kind of bringing out this different side of him yeah i thought that little aspect of him was endearing yeah yeah but get scandalized (laughs) scandalous um but also with reed i think his part in the story in the beginning, it made sense because, you know, he's this witch hunter. He's the captain of the chasseurs or whatever. But as the story progressed and kind of was coming to the end and the climax, his character almost flipped for me in the way that he was this person with these character traits and this personality, and it almost completely flipped by the end. And I understand that when characters are put through hard things and, like, you discover a bunch of things about your past as Reed did that could bring development but I don't see it completely changing his character for example at the end he starts cussing a lot more and then you're like oh kind of hot but also it's just like it kind of takes you by surprise and then like his anger like suddenly comes back and then the whole fight thing happens at um Chateau Leblanc and then we discover that Reed is a witch. I just... What? His abilities it came out of nowhere for me. I think if I read reread through the book, there would be no hint that he was a witch. No, none at all. It just... Lou died. She got... And he was like... Wah! And he had these powers all of a sudden. Yeah. I think... Granted, I would understand... If it was like maybe a one-time thing. Because, you know, he does have 
the lineage of a witch. And so in his deep emotional state, he brought it out, but wasn't able to again. Mm-hmm. That would make a lot Kinda more sense like to me. Kind of like a one-time thing. Yeah. One-time break. But at the same time, I'd want at least some kind of hint, some kind of foreshadow towards that. Like, even if in an, in just another chapter before this, if he was like, oh, I felt a spark in my fingertips or something like that, mm-hmm. then I'd go, oh, okay, I wonder what that is. But it literally came out of nowhere. I was like, Oof. Ugh. did he just use magic? <laughs> <laughs> and also... You can't tell me that a witch hasn't had a son before. You know what I mean? Like, I, they even said that the, like, witches have had boys before and that they're just kind of thrown out because they're magicless. And, and maybe in the sequel, Reed, because he's also the son of the king, maybe that will play into why he has powers. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I just, it just was really unexpected to me. It was really unexpected. I feel like the last hundred pages of the book were just like, boom, 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 something, something, something happening. Yeah, I got smacked in the face like eight times. Yeah. Because there was Lou's dad reveal, Reed's mom reveal, Reed is the son of the king, Reed is also the son of a witch, Reed has powers, Lou got her throat slashed, rip, but she's not dead. (laughs) (laughs) Reed's mom died. But But she's okay. (laughs) Jean-Luc is here. Which, actually, I kind of like that part. I was like, Jean-Luc! I don't know. I was just kind of hit with a lot, though. It was a lot. The pacing of the book confused me. It almost made it seem like I was reading two books instead of one. Yeah, I, I think... For me, it was mainly just the middle. I think if maybe more of the end had to had been distributed throughout the middle or if you know we talked about the antagonist and stuff I think that could have possibly have helped too or just even foreshadowing stuff like Reed's magic or Reed's mom even if he just had one conversation with Lou about you know I know I shouldn't care about my mom but I do want to know who she is even though she abandoned me then at the end when there's the reveal that his mom is this person I'd go oh you know like there's fruition to that But there wasn't, like, Reed didn't really care who his mom was. He never expressed that he cared who his mom was. Yeah, Reed's emotions were kind of all over the place. Because the the scene where he figures out that Lou's a witch, right before then you kind of just see them being all romantic and lovey-dovey and all of this, and you don't really see any hint of his anger. And then all of a sudden it just explodes. Yeah, you know? he kind of shuts off almost. Yeah. And it was just really weird for me to see that. And I was like, wait, what? Like you, you say, I'm like, I get, I get it that you hate witches. You like despise them or what. But even that, even his hatred of witches didn't feel that deep to me. Yeah, it didn't to me either. Like he, you know, he hunted witches. He burned one at the stake, but... Yeah, it just didn't feel deep. It didn't. And so when Lou was discovered as a witch, I was like, I could see him getting angry, but I could also see him being like, okay, well, what do we do now? And I couldn't tell what he was angry at. It was a little unclear to me. Was he angry that she was a witch or that she didn't tell him that she was a witch? I think it was a little bit of both. And like throughout 
the pages afterwards, it seems like Reed's trying to figure that out. Like, oh, I love her, but she's a witch. But do I care about that? But all of this. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, like, that would make sense. You know, yeah. like, him kind of struggling with it. But then all of a sudden, it kind of comes to a stop because he has to go save Lou. And he kind of just, like, throws those emotions away. It's like, yeah, okay, now I'm okay with her being It doesn't a witch. really resolve. No, not really. It just kind of comes to an abrupt stop. And it's the same thing with his mom. You know, when he kind of, like, starts to figure out that Madame LaBelle is his mother and she's a witch, throughout that kind of weird conversation with all the people. Yeah, and the, yeah. Yeah. He kind of, he starts to get angry again. And he's like, you're not my mother. I don't have a mother. And he's, and he has this stance with her. Which I feel like is a fair stance. It's a fair he's stance. He's basically like, I have no emotional attachment to you. It doesn't matter to me that you're my mom. Which I feel like that's realistic. It's I mean, fair. It's don't. fair. Yeah. Except then the fight happens at Chateau Leblanc. And then she gets hurt and all of a sudden she's his mother. Yeah. She she gets killed. And then he goes, oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> you're my mother. I want you to live. And it's like, it was just, it was this one line that really bugged me. Because he said that he needed, there were two women in his life that he needed the most. And I was like, okay, one of them is Lou, but don't you dare, don't you dare imply that it's going to be your mother because you have hated her for the past, like, 50 pages. And you didn't even know she existed up until 50 pages ago. And, like, you've never cared. No. So, I just, he seems to switch very quickly. Which I don't love in a character development. Overall, though... I think he is a very interesting character, and he is one that I have not seen before. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anyone like Reed, and I I do appreciate Reed and the role that he has in the story, and I, I, I like the journey that he goes through and the certain little mannerisms that he has and such. But like Lou with her dad, he just never expressed a desire to know his mom. Also, his role as captain of the Chassia... I say it differently every single time. Chaser, Chester, I don't even know. Anyways, Same thing. It's a cool word. I'm just, so, I can't <laughs> pronounce it. I'm so sorry. Um, his role as captain, though, really, that, he was only captain in the first third of the book. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. then his duties and responsibilities, like, they were never touched on. We never actively saw him take on that role again. Especially at the end when Jean-Luc kind of takes control. You know, you'd think that maybe Reed would fight against that a little bit or go, hey, hey, my friends, my dudes, I'm your captain now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> but it just seems like he was so hard set on being this captain guy in the beginning, but that's really lost in the middle of the story. It's kind of like it was introduced and it was just given to him just as a character trait, and then it was lost throughout the rest of the book. Also, too, he says to Lou at one point in the end, I believe, he goes something along the lines of, I haven't really lived, or I want to live in the way you do, I want to see things the way you do. And that just kind of seemed like a hard switch for me, too. It just oh, yeah. seemed like he said that when... I don't. I didn't feel like he was emotionally there to say that. If that makes sense. Like there wasn't enough sincerity behind it. Or there just wasn't enough emotions that he expressed out the book that made me believe that he actually wanted that. Especially since he grew up in the church his whole life, and I'm assuming he's over eighteen. So that's 
over 18 years in the church. And that's not something that you can just leave behind. You can't just turn that off. I I understand, like, things happened. You killed the archbishop, which was hard on you. You know, they're trying to kill the person you love. I get that. But at the same time, like, those standards and, like, those ideas and beliefs don't just go away. Also, I feel like the whole scene with him killing the archbishop in exchange for Lou's life didn't have that much emotional impact for me. Because I know that he saw the archbishop as kind of like this father figure and someone that he would always trust and obey. And so I feel like that scene should have been more of a tearjerker. It didn't have an emotional impact on me because I didn't feel like it had an emotional impact on Reed. Yeah. Like, he just kind of did it. And he's dead and he saved Lou, which was great. But, you know, like he said, the archbishop was his father figure. He spent his entire life under his liege. You know, you think that he would take a second and think about the moments they've had together and the hard and the soft, but he never really does. He just kind of kills him and then is done with it. Basically. Like, he has no, like, emotional aftermath either. Yeah. And the archbishop... I think he would feel emotionally for because he has been basically the only consistent thing in Reed's life versus his mom that he didn't care about but then dies and he gets an emotional reaction to it. It's weird that he doesn't get that with the archbishop. I get that the archbishop didn't tell Reed about Lou being his daughter or his affair with La Dame de Sorcière or whatever. But that's a, again, that's a trust that was built up for over 18 years that's not something that's just broken and then done like you have lingering effects again though i didn't even feel that betrayal when he learns that the archbishop was Lou's dad and stuff i didn't feel a betrayal of oh how could he never tell me that we were so close i trusted him all my life he told me everything i needed to believe and da 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 i didn't feel any of that no honestly i felt a lot of lack of emotional impact with reed I didn't quite understand his emotions or why he did what he did. Or why he felt what he felt or why he didn't feel what I felt like he would have felt. Yeah. Or just, okay. Reed's whole thing with Saley, I felt like, was built up to this thing. Like, she, the author built it up a lot in the beginning. He was like, Saley's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing because her sister was killed. And I need to avenge that, but I wanted to marry her, but we couldn't do that. And it's just like this whole thing. He like wrote in his diary about her. And I get that he might've been falling in love with someone else, but I feel like there should have been more of a, an ending. Again, to me, Saley just kind of, she just kind of drops out of the plot line. And then she came back for a single second at the ball for Lou to get jealous. And then she dropped from the plot line again. Yeah. I feel like when he's with Lou, he would be thinking of, oh, I feel like I'm betraying Saley right here because I'm with Lou and I'm starting to feel things for her, but how could I do that? You know, it's like guilt because he did really like Saley. Now, I think Saley was included in the story, and I don't know. I'm not the author. This is just my inferring. Was that to prove that he already had a resistance against the church because he wasn't supposed to have that relationship. So it shows that there was something in him that was already kind of rebelling in a way but again Saley was just there she was just mentioned 
she didn't have an emotional impact on Reed. It was it was built up to make it seem like she had this, that Sally had this big impact on him. But like you said, she just kind of fell from the story. She just wasn't mentioned until the ball and then gone again. Yeah. With Reed and Lou's first kiss, I had a hard time getting over the dead bodies in the corner. Like, okay, I get it. No, what? I don't. I don't. Let me explain. (laughs) Okay? Okay. So, that whole scene, Lou was going to go get a present for Reed, and Reed was off in whatever else trying to get a present for Lou because it's Christmas, Yuletide, whatever you want to call it. Except Lou goes into this trap and has to fight off Andre and grow. And then she eventually has to kill them because, you know, they're attacking her and trying to kill her. That's so, fair. you know, you know, self-defense, fair. And then people come in and she's trying to cover up the fact that she's magic and this whole thing. And then Reed comes in trying to make sure she's okay. And then they have this moment where they're looking into each other's eyes, right? I, th- I think this is what happened. And all of a sudden, they just start making out. On the ground. It's not like they were standing. No, I think they were sitting down, and then they started making out, and then he kind of, like... Laid her back? Yeah, he kind of, like, put his arm around her and just kind of, like, shifted her down. <laughs> I, I, I keep thinking of Pitch Perfect at the end, where she's <laughs> doing snow angels in the puke. <laughs> Is that gross? Because he shifts her down and then they're like, oh, what's this warm thing on my back? (laughs) And I'm like, first off, I could not get into... It was blood, in case you're wondering. They they were making out on blood. (laughs) With two bodies next to them. Two two dead bodies. (laughs) Like how 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 does an, how does a moment to make out even come out of like that situation? I mean, maybe I'd be like, oh, I want to kiss you, but can we move first? <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are bodies. <laughs> I just, I I don't care how passionate you are about the other person. You there's no there. How is that not a mood killer? A killer. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> no. It wasn't necessarily the first kiss I wanted for... I, I couldn't really get into the moment because I'm like, well, they're by two dead bodies. Uh, well, I was like... For a second, I was like, did they move? And I just <laughs> missed it? Or are we still by the bodies? Is there still blood <laughs> around here? And, okay, just just besides the fact that, A, it's a very gruesome sight to see, you know, bodies strewn around with their blood still warm. Well, and also... Like, it's not like she just stumbled upon them. She killed those guys. Like, it was her fault. Yeah. Well, they attacked her, but she killed them. It was her doing. Yeah. I'll say doing. That's a better word for it. But, like, yeah, like I said, gruesome sight. But also, secondly, the smell. Like, you're gonna smell the iron in the blood. Like, seriously. Like, how, how, how did they get into the mood to make out? That's, that's, I don't, like, maybe, maybe... Lou had this, like, adrenaline and everything. But I'm, like, at the same time, I'm, like, use that adrenaline to take him elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Or couldn't Reed have been, like, oh, hey, you were just in danger. Let's get you away so you can feel safe. And and so that we don't have to kiss 
in front of dead people. The, the ghosts of the guys who are dead are like, guys, really? <laughs> Some respect, please. Wow, like... Get a room. <laughs> like what? We don't get R.I.P.? <laughs> I mean, that is not resting in peace. No, it is not. So after that kiss, Lou is still wearing her bloody cloak and they leave. And um, they literally have sex like right after that. Wait, what? (laughs) And she's still wearing it? No, see, you really are a pig stop. I want to see your secret. Show me. Because her secret (laughs) is like the the, the top of the roof. Yes. Wait, so so they kissed on a, a by dead bodies. And then they're like, you know what's even better than this? Like, maybe hours, literally legit, hours after the incident, they go to the roof and they have sex in winter, too, might I add. Also, may I just say, though, I found it so funny that when they were about to have sex, Lou stopped for a second. She was like, Reed's a virgin. I'm like, uh, um, yeah. (laughs) He he grew up in a tower of celibacy. Of course he's a freaking virgin. (laughs) I mean, even... If, like, she might have assumed otherwise because of his relationship with Saley. But, again, he blushes when you wear pants, honey. Yeah, he's a virgin. He's a virgin. (laughs) He's a virgin. The self-consciousness that I felt during that scene, though, went, like, that went, that went deep. Now, props, though, because you don't typically see a lot of male interests are, love interests are virgins. So, props. Props, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I wished that when she kind of realizes that he was a virgin, I wish she could just... Because it was so fast. It was very It was fast. so fast. I wish they could have slowed down a little bit and she could have looked at him and go, oh, he's a virgin. You know, let's make this a moment. Let's make this special. Let's not just have it be rough and tough, stop, drop, and roll. You know, let's take it nice and easy. You know? Lou is kinky, though. She is. I just wanted... (laughs) (laughs) But I just... I just wish she would have considered him a little bit more. Because that's a really big moment for him. Yeah. And I don't know. I just wanted them to slow down. And maybe get off the rooftop. It's cold! It's so cold! cold. It's the winter! We're literally stripping in the middle of winter on a rooftop. If it was like their third time, okay, maybe they're crazy. I don't... But their first time? Oh my... Oh... I'd probably be the worst girlfriend. <laughs> it's the cold. <laughs> I'm cold. I just, no. Literally. We're really doing this here. <laughs> really? <laughs> the whole time. I was just, A, I was super self-conscious. Like I said, like, because Reed was a virgin, I was like, oh, honey, are you going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> but also, you were stripping in the middle of winter. You, you, you know what our bodies are not made for? Winter. Bare nakedness in the cold. Like, I mean, if I, anything, I, wouldn't I, that make him perform like way worse? Yeah, isn't that more disappointing? Yeah, he's like, Lou, please. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, I step out of the hot tub for one second. I'm like, uh, oh, I could get sick. <laughs> Yeah, sickness, sickness. This is olden times. You get the flu, you die. <laughs> Take some more consideration. The plague uh, happened. Oh, wait. That's imaginary world, right? But also- A okay. plague could have happened. <laughs> a plague will happen now because people are just getting getting down in the snow. I just- Also, you're on a roof. You're on a higher level. You know what's on a higher level? Lots of winds. Yeah. 
is she got to go? And Lou is small. She's gonna get freaking blown off. Lou. <laughs> <laughs> I just like didn't, you didn't have a blanket. Like at the well, very minimum. And also, a roof isn't comfy. No, that's shingles on your back. Yeah, shingles on your back. Shingles in your crack. <laughs> <laughs> This is why we're single. <laughs> this, this right here is why we're single. Shingles in your crack. I mean, okay, this is the thing with books, though. I get that you kind of have these epic scenes because, of course, you would never practically do that in real life, right? Right, yeah, yeah, of course. But also, it's cold. Get some hot cocoa. <laughs> I mean, just lay down a blanket. I don't know. If it's going to be unrealistic. Keep a jacket on. <laughs> A jacket's not going to intervene. Here's my thing with, like, these epic kind of scenes. You have, like, it's fine to make them unrealistic, but you have to make me believe the unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I'm sitting there reading it and I'm like, what about this? What about this? Thinking about, like, reality kind of things, then I'm not going to believe in it. If I'm enraptured in the moment, I won't care, even if it's super impractical. Exactly. If I was... In deep in that moment, I wouldn't have cared they were outside on a rooftop in the snow. But I was detached just the slightest. And so I was like, where are her snow boots? (laughs) Where are their socks? (laughs) Oh my gosh. What if they got, what's that thing called when your toes get all black? Frostbite. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fingers. Okay. Okay. If you don't want me thinking about all the practical, the, the practicality of it. Then make it more passionate. Make it like, emotional. If you swallow me into the scene. <laughs> if I am taken with the scene, I won't care. No, I won't. I won't be. You could nitpicking. be on the top of Mount Everest and I'd be like, this is freaking great. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not in it and I go, wait, they're on the top of Mount Everest. You can't breathe up there. <laughs> So, in my notes, while I was reading the book, I gave the Archbishop a certain nickname, which I don't think I'll be able to repeat on here, but let's just say it was less than kind. You can say it for fun if you want. He's a supreme asshole. (laughs) You jumped on that so quick. (laughs) I mean, from the beginning, this dude is just sexist, he's misogynistic, he is holier than thou. He hits women. His own daughter. His own daughter. He's basically, like, what you said, he's basically Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yep. The Archbishop was basically like the guy in the scary movie who they purposely make you hate so that you don't feel bad when they die. Basically. If I had talked to him, I'd honestly be like, dude, I don't care. No, I think I think I wouldn't be able to hold back and I would just kick him in the balls. I'd just be like, dude, you're slimy probably. And and you think you're cool in your robes, man. <laughs> <laughs> the author did well to make you hate him. I mean, yeah. I hated him. I was like, off with his freaking head. Burn him! <laughs> Burn him at the stake! Do it! <laughs> I'd be in the crowd. Do it! I mean, she really did a good job of making you hate him because... Within the first hundred pages of the book, um, 
when he's mentioning that Reed and Lou are actually together after that whole mishap at the theater at the beginning of the book. Um, a witch in the audience, which we now know is Estelle, kind of like does some magic on him and makes him have an accident. And can I just say, that was so satisfying. So satisfying. I, I yeah, I respected it. I was like, you, that's the, that's what magic is supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there would have been more foreshadow. Well, okay. Actually, no, I don't. I was actually okay with him being, the reveal of him being Lou's dad. I didn't feel like um, Lou really had an emotional reaction to it, but I don't like hypocrisy, but in the story, I thought it served well. Like I, I did. For his character, I was like, oh, you little weasel. Think you're so much better than anyone else, but you do what you tell everyone not to, you little punk. Kate, you had sex with the witch. Yeah. That's like Are, the are biggest... you even supposed to have sex? <laughs> <laughs> you sinner. That's like the sin of all sins. I mean, you just done played yourself, fool. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you have the audacity the audacity to tell people off, to judge them, mm-hmm. to do whatever archbishops freaking do. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Neither do I. I think they just scold people. Ugh. But he's like, oh, thou shalt not kill. And then he does exactly that. Well, he didn't kill, but I'm saying like, he thou shalt did. not a sleep ten- with a witch. <laughs> 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 but I did that. He did. He did. He. It was an attempted murder. Also... He, he tried to kill Lou in the beginning at their wedding ceremony, at Reed and Lou's wedding ceremony. Wait, when did he do that? Because they're at the river, right? Yeah. But he oh. says, oh, I have to baptize you first oh, because <laughs> you are unholy. And I was like, okay, sir, no. And then, so he baptizes her, but then he leaves her in the water for too long. Yeah. I, oh, I forgot about that. And then you're like, <gasps> you asshole. Just well, like that. Also, I... <sighs> I can't hold my breath underwater. Actually, I watched a a movie called Poseidon, and it was about a ship called Poseidon that got hit with a tidal wave, and so it flipped over, and it was upside down. And after I watched that movie, I was like, how how long can I really hold my breath? I was in the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) I tried, and it was like 10 seconds. (laughs) It would be so easy to kill me. Sometimes, like, if the archbishop did that, he'd be like, hey, hey, you suck. <laughs> oh. Oh, she's dead. <laughs> it only took that. And, it, okay, same, like, someone could throw me in the water, and I would be dead. Because, one, I can't swim. Mm-hmm. And, two, I can't hold my breath to save my life. Literally. I'd, I'd try to breathe in like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> With the archbishop being revealed as Lou's dad, I... I appreciated it in the the scope of Morgan's plan mm. of her just like killing two birds with one stone. Like, I'm going to have a child with the highest ranking official in the church and I'm going to use her. I'm going to use that child to end the line of heirs of the kingdom. And I was like, A, that's freaking genius. Well, also, like, you want me to be against Morgan when she's this smart? Right? I mean... That was genius. But with that whole reveal, like, with with the Archbishop doing these things, like, basically attempting to murder her, you 
it doesn't make sense that he'd want to protect her or even have the mm. implication of protecting her or anything like that. So, like, the reveal came as a surprise to me. I was like, wait, what? No. Because apparently he had read Mary Lou in order to protect her. Yeah. Maybe it was because he just didn't want Morgan to have her. But at the same time, I'm like, you could have just killed her. And, and then it wouldn't be Your an problem issue. would be a lot easier. Exactly. So you were, we are to assume that he did that in order to protect Lou, but all of his actions beforehand contradict that. Well, even afterward. Even afterwards. Even when Lou was like, hey, do you love me? He goes, no. <laughs> Denied. <laughs> I mean, but maybe that was just his own guilt. Maybe. But you also don't see that. You don't see his guilt towards her. There was one moment where I think it was supposed to, in a sense, soften our perception of the Archbishop and give a clue in that he was Lou's dad. It's when she finds him in the library and he's eating sticky buns. But I was just thinking, dude, just because you're eating sticky buns, that doesn't mean I'm going to like you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're supposed to like him. Because Lou really likes sticky buns, and, like, he really likes sticky buns. Like, oh, connection. Yeah. No. I mean, evil people have good taste all the time. True. I just, I think with the Archbishop, and this is actually surprising to me that I'm even saying this, but I think he, I would have liked him more in the story. Oh, absolutely. To either show that he hates Lou with all his heart or kind of like a redemption arc because it was kind of in the middle because like you said, he protected Lou, but in the end he's like, nah, I hate you. So I just didn't know what I was supposed to feel about him. Am I supposed to hate him? Is he Frollo? Or am I supposed to have a Darth Vader moment where I go, oh, he died. The Archbishop as a character, just like without any like or dislike involved, I think he was a great character for this story. Oh, loved him. As the character, like, he well, not was, like, like, loved him, but he was a good character for the story. He was a good character, and so I do wish that he was utilized more, not only because he was revealed as Lou's dad, but he was a father figure to Reed, and that mm. was kind of mentioned in the beginning, but then, again, it got dropped off. You don't really see that connection, and when, ultimately, the Archbishop dies at Reed's hand at the end of the book, you're kind of like, meh. Yeah, and and like I said, I just wasn't sure what I was supposed to think about him in the end. I Am I supposed to hate him? Is he being redeemed? I think he helped Lou out of Gale. That, that's kind of how I reason it. I think he hates her. I don't think he loves her at all, but I think he goes, oh, this is my child. Ugh. Suppose I should save her. And so I think that's his guilt. But at the end of the story, I just wasn't sure if he was supposed to be redeemed in my eyes or not, or if he was just supposed to be stagnant unchanging but even if at the end of the story i was supposed to think oh he was a really bad guy he wasn't a great guy obviously but he wasn't like horrifying if that makes sense like he he could have been way more lethal than he was he could have been i mean he did do some terrible things yeah and i'm not arguing that i'm not saying he's not good at all i hate the freaking dude but he also wasn't as bad as he could be so i just wasn't sure if he was a villain i just wasn't sure what he was Yeah, I get that. Like, it seemed in the beginning that the Archbishop had more of an antagonistic kind of feel. Mm. And I think it was meant to switch into, not necessarily a protagonist, but more into a side character or 
something else, right? Yeah. Just something else. But I'm not sure what that thing was supposed to be. And I feel like out of all of the characters in the book, the Archbishop was in a position to help the story along more than any other character. Simply because of the position that he was placed in, the trust that he had in other people, the dynamics that he had with other characters. Like, he could have been the reason why Reed was became okay with Lou being a witch. Because, oh, she's a witch, but she's his daughter, and he's okay with it, so maybe I can be okay with it. Or maybe the Archbishop is the reason why Reed finally just breaks away from the church. Yeah, maybe the Archbishop tries to push Reed to such a point that he goes, hey, no, this isn't right. And then he breaks away. Yeah, something like that. Kind of like a backfire on the Archbishop. He could have been a catalyst for both protagonists. So, in Serpent and Dove, I personally think that the MVP has got to be Ansel. For me, I feel like Ansel and Coco collab. Oh, so like Coco's also an MVP for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Ansel is just a little bit more simply because he is training to be a chasser and he's kind of put um, as a guard for Lou by Reed and he spends some time with her and he kind of has the same thing that Reed does and that's endearing where um, he gets very flustered and very embarrassed by the things that Lou says that are a little bit more blunt, right? But at the same time, well, one, okay, sorry, sorry. Back up, back up. He is younger than them. He's 16. And so you're like, oh, the little baby, right? <laughs> and like I said, he's he's been training as a chesser. He's been in the tower his whole life. And so he has that same, those same beliefs and everything that the rest of the chessers have, except when he figures out that Lou's a witch... He's just, like, super open-minded about it. He's like, no, I know this person. I know who she is, and she's not a bad person. So, no, I'm not going to out her to people who are going to kill her, and no, I'm not going to treat her differently because of that, because I know her as a person. And I was like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ansel. Granted, like, Ansel doesn't have the biggest impact on the story. He's more of, like, a side character. But he's the one that holds dearest in my heart. So I'm just like... Oh, Ansel. He's the one I'd kill for, you know? Yeah. So if you, if any of you touch him, you're dead. D-E-A-D, not R-I-P. I, I will kick you into the next world. The hellish one. Satan will be like, go! Oh, one of the other side characters that I actually really liked as well was Estelle. You know, at the beginning, we don't really know her name. Because Lou doesn't really recognize her. And she's just like, oh, she's the girl from the theater. And she kind of just describes her that way. But, you know, Estelle was cool. First yeah. off. First off. When um, Reed and Lou have that incident at the theater where people are assuming that Reed is assaulting Lou. Because, you know, her face is a mess. And just, like, the, the situation that happened. Estelle was the first one that was like, uh-uh. No. Not happening. <laughs> And I was, I was like, yes, yes, thank you. Secondly, she's the one that cast the spell on the archbishop to embarrass him in front of all of the people. So I was like, yes, thank you. And so she, you just kind of see her in these, in these, in these moments. And then 
You see her again later in the book when Reed and Lou go to the theater to see the play of the book that they've both been reading. And that actually, that scene was kind of sad for me. Like that beginning scene, the that scene at the theater or after the theater when Estelle kind of confronts Lou. She's like, I know who you are. And then she uses magic against Reed and then Reed's like, you're a witch. And then they capture her. And then she's burned at the stake. Like, BBQ'd. Oh, that one actually kind of, it made me sad. Estelle's death made me sad. Because you saw what she did. And and even though she was in the story very briefly and very, like, she was in it in glimpses, you were able to get enough of that sense of who she was. And also, too, you know, there's a, I always feel like there's a big theme of sisterhood in witches. Like, those, that's your family in a sense. You know, you're bound by magic. You're bound by blood. You're you're being hunted by the same people. And so to have one of your sisters be caught and burned, that's so hard. Yeah. And, and to not be able to really do anything about it either, because Lou was in a hard situation. She couldn't really save Estelle. And also from Estelle's perspective, to be like, hey, you're my witch sister, and you're not, you're going to let me burn? That's rough, man. That's really... I think out of all the elements in the story, this is the one that, like, hit me the hardest. Like, the, this is the one that made me feel the most. Partly because of Lou's reaction to it. Like, she did take it really hard. She was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is... Like, I, I know I should save her, but I can't or else my life's going to be put in danger. And I really, I really loved that because I could feel it. I could feel, like, oh, this is an old... Like, this is a betrayal, and then when she's burning, like, you you see Reed and his kind of nonchalance with it. And it's just, out of all of the scenes, this is probably one of my favorite scenes, simply because of the emotions that in, it invoked. This is going to sound bad, but I liked how with Estelle and Lou, that it was an impossible situation. Because that gives it, that gives the scene in Estelle's death emotion and intensity because you know that there's nothing Lou can do and you feel the sense of betrayal that Estelle most likely has. And it's just that impossible situation where you feel so much because you know it's impossible and there's not anything you can do. You feel helpless. It makes you feel something. And that, I think, is why this scene was powerful. Estelle was a great character, one, because she was written in a way where you kind of saw her as a character, but also because she kind of showed you the struggle within Lou. You showed you her struggle versus of doing what she thought, what, what Lou thought was right versus her surviving. So I think out of all the characters, Estelle was probably written the best in that sense. I also think story-wise, Estelle was necessary for Lou because Lou needed that confliction. She needed to be reminded that her survival that it's hard to choose between what's right and and your survival and she needed to have that choice and I actually thought it would put more of a damper on her relationship with Reed seeing yeah. him stand by the stake and and watch Estelle burn I wish it had a little bit more of a consequence and maybe a moment for Reed where he goes oh maybe witches are more than just monsters maybe they are people by because of Lou's reaction but all in all, I liked Estelle's purpose in the story. Yeah, she had a good one. She, yeah. she was written well. 
<laughs> oh, it was also, that scene is also one of the only scenes that we see Lou actually using her magic. And, you know, it did hail consequences because that's when Ansel found out she was a witch. So, just all in all, I just really liked that scene. And I liked that she took Estelle's pain. That was kind of the only thing she could do and she did. Yeah, it really showed her character. Like It showed know. a different side. Yeah. Kind of the side you don't get to see a lot. The side that she deflects. Yeah. Okay, the whole breakup scene, okay? The breakup scene slash when Reed finds out that Lou's a witch. I'm sorry, but my frustration with Lou and just the inconsistency in her character during this scene still makes me (laughs) very passionate simply because, yes, I get it. This man, you love him. Great. He broke your heart and kind of let the light out of your eyes. Hard. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And then she just kind of runs away afterwards because she's like, no one loves me. And it's hard. Again, it's hard. (laughs) But, girl, your mother just appeared. The thing that you've been fearing this whole time has appeared before you. The whole time, she's like, yeah, I gotta survive. I gotta, like, be clever and make sure she doesn't find me. But you get your heart broken and all that's, like, out the door. You have Angelica's ring, okay? If You could have just run out of the tower and then become invisible, you know? Because she's out there. You know she's out there. I get if you needed some space. You're heartbroken. I, I totally get it. But if you need to cry in a corner, just put, just use the ring. Like you said, the ring is there for turn yourself invisible so that people can just hear random crying in an alley and not know the source. She just ran out and, and I get that she's probably overcome with emotion, but she should also be overcome with the fear that her mom could find her. She just ran away right into her mother's arms, basically. Like, Morgan was probably like, oh, well, this is nice. <laughs> Wait, she made it way too easy. And it, I say it's a character inconsistency because this whole, the whole thing driving Lou to do what she did was this fear of her mother. For me, Lou would have been, okay, Lou would have been a lot more of a badass and her mom would have been a lot scarier if she had actually been smart in the situation and her mom still found her. Yeah! Morgan would have been such a great villain, but so there are so many instances in which her power was undermined simply because of some elements in the story that just happened. With the ending, I was just thinking, how has Lou's mom not captured her sooner? Because Lou's barely used Angelica's ring. She's running out into the streets right now because her heart's broken and she get she got caught so easily. I mean, how how could she ever even go against her mom? I mean, there's no way. How did she even escape? I mean, it just, that moment undermined Lou's character a little bit because I think Lou is strong and I think she's smart and I think she's clever, but that right there undermined it and it made her look a lot lesser than Morgan, which I'm like, so how is this even a, a problem? It's like, this is like a cat going against a mouse. It's like, Lou gonna die. She's gonna yeah. die because she's stupid. And if she did die, I'm like, I'm sorry, but... You did it! I mean, uh, like, in scary movies, it's a lot scarier when the main character is actually smart, but they're still beaten. Yeah. 
Because then I go, oh, this villain, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, it makes me feel, fear the villain a lot more, and it makes me respect the protagonist a lot more, and it makes me want to see the protagonist live when they're actually smart. Because I go, no, no, they're so smart. This shouldn't have happened at all. No, they did everything right. But with Lou, I'm like, no, you did not do everything right. That was the dumbest thing. You have a friend. I was actually kind of rooting for Morgana at this point. Uh, I mean, Morgana's just so smart. Uh, again, she's so smart that how can you not root for her? Of course, Seriously. I'm like, she's the mastermind of everything. She can do anything she wants. Yeah. I'm I mean, she's a little that. cold. She's a little heartless. Maybe a little psychotic. But she's intelligent. She thinks things through. She knows what she wants and she's gonna go out and get it. Now, I understand that characters have weakness, of course, and and weakness undermines strength all the time. But also, too, again, it just would have been a lot more powerful. It would have made Morgan scarier and it would have made Lou a bit more of a contender against her mother if she actually had thought through that more. And then after that whole scene a lot of things happened yeah a lot of things were revealed a lot of people were hurt but did not die and how how do do you how do you make sense of the whole ending tay with the ending and i mentioned this a little bit earlier i was just hit with a lot of stuff because you have the revelation of the parents of lou and reed then you have the whole chateau de blanc scene where you have this house full of witches and Reed and the rest of them have to breach it to save Lou. But Lou gets killed, but then Reed is a witch, so he saves Lou, and then Jean-Luc shows up and takes care of the witches, and then they flee. And Reed's mom, Madame LaBelle, died, but then she didn't die. It was being hit with a lot of things that none of them really stuck with me because none of them seemed that important. Oh no, Madame LaBelle died. Mm, no. Oh no, you know, actually with Lou it's fine because, you know, I don't mind that Lou was brought back to life, of course. I think with a protagonist that's okay. But also when the stakes are so high and yet somehow everyone survives, impossibly, it was being hit with a lot and I just didn't feel like there was a consequence to it. Also, there were some like really random little bits of, I think we're supposed to be comedic things like Baz suddenly did he strip and start singing big titty Liddy? yeah there was that and while I appreciate the idea and I liked the little thing he had with Lou afterwards like oh we both go to the same pubs like I appreciated it but maybe in a different situation well also you know I that scene was funny yeah but it undermines the witches because you really think that a a room full of witches is going to be distracted by a guy stripping i mean they'd be like and he'd be dead that's what i'd do i'd be like get this guy out of here here's my thing too they're in a room full of witches like morgan is not the only person with power here yeah and yet all of them left relatively unscathed and also, do you expect me to believe that Morgan, this ultimate strategist, this intelligent witch, is going to let her ceremony be interrupted? The ceremony that has been prolonged because her daughter escaped her, and the ceremony that would kill all of her en- enemies, she's going to let that be disrupted by a guy singing Big Titty Liddy? No freaking way. Again, Morgan would be like, uh, dead, you know? She would break her freaking hand just to kill him. Why didn't she? Well, again, and that's the whole thing. It makes them seem weak and... It just makes them seem weak. 
when when they just get distracted by that because they wouldn't. No, like or why didn't other the other witches help? Yeah. Like when for example, when Coco went and stabbed Morgan with a knife. Yeah, which cool on Coco's part. Props to Coco. Respect, you're awesome. Why didn't any other witch be like, "Oh, they're attacking our leader. Let's do something." Yeah. I mean, this is two witches, I guess, three with Reed. Four with Madame LaBelle, but she's dead. But she's not dead. <laughs> Against a room full of witches. I wish there would have been one, perhaps a bigger buildup to the climax in the middle of the story. But also, just like you said, I, I think like what you've been saying this whole time, just more magic involved. Not just on Lou's case, but every other witch. And Madame LaBelle does do a little bit of magic you know, to, like, disguise them and stuff. And then she kind of just doesn't use it at the fight. Again, you, <laughs> your witches, use your magic! I mean, I get if you have to be under the radar, but you can still use your magic in clever ways. You don't but, have to be under the radar. You're at Chateau but, but, yeah, when you're in a full-out battle, break all the fingers <laughs> you can! Break your arm! Break your leg! <laughs> use all your power! Oh, my goodness. You, I'd be... <laughs> snapping and popping. <laughs> Snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> I mean, like, ooh, he said, oh, ow, my finger. Oh, he said, my neck. I I don't know. Use your magic. Use your magic. It's so powerful. And there's even loopholes. Loophole yourself out. Break someone else's finger. <laughs> you know what I would have loved? I would have loved if instead of Madame LaBelle recruiting Jean-Luc to attack the house... If Reed had to go talk to his childhood friend. If Dude. Reed had to go out and be like, hey, I got this house full of witches. I need your help. And Jean-Luc could be like, eh, I don't trust you because you like the witches. Huh, I'm captain now. And Reed could have been like, hey, this is more than just this. Come attack. <laughs> and no, and it could have like invoked some emotion between them. Like it could have shown, oh, there is some weight to our friendship our dynamic. Yeah. Or if Reed had handed his captainship over to Jean-Luc, or if Jean-Luc had been like, Reed, you take the lead, and then Reed kind of assumed that captain role, and he kind of saved everyone. I mean, Reed doesn't really do anything in that scene. He kind of just stands disguised. So if he had led the charge with the chasseur, taking out witches, woo, Reed would have been hot in that scene. Okay, though, so can I just say something that kind of bugged me at the very, very end. Hmm. Okay, throughout the story, you find there are a bunch of plot twists. It's like, oh, the archbishop is Lou's father, but her mother is La Dame de Sorcière, the witch of witches, and Reed is the king's bastard with Madame LaBelle, who was introduced, right? And so, like, there's this, there's, there's this pattern, a powerful lineage within the characters, and so jokingly, I was like, oh, well, Coco must be like the descendant of Satan or something. Except <laughs> the very last page of the story, the, the little group decides, oh, yeah, well, we're going to go with Coco to her coven. And then she's like, oh, yeah, we'll just stay with my aunt. She's La Voisin or something. Some powerful blood witch, right? And I'm like, oh, would you look at that? Coco does have some powerful lineage. Who was surprised? 
Well, in the beginning, though, Coco had kind of talked about her aunt. She did. So, okay. I appreciate the, the mentioning of her aunt beforehand. So, that was nice. I appreciated that. But also, Reed is suddenly like, La Voisson? What? And can I just say, boy, you just barely figured out that there are two different types of witches, okay? You just thought that all witches were Dom Blanches, okay? But all of a sudden, you suddenly know the most powerful blood witch there is? Yeah, freaking right. That's, uh, I keep pointing at you, like people can see, I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) I just, look, okay, I know, I know. This is a very small inconsistency. It still bugs me, though. That's true. If Well, maybe he just thought, though, that he, she was just a powerful witch. Maybe he didn't know specifically that she was a Dame Rouge. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Serpent and Dove cover, though, is so beautiful. Okay, yeah. The cover art is This bomb. cover is one of the... Pr- I'm showing it nothing. <laughs> This cover is in, like, my top ten favorite covers. Oh, wow. I love this cover so freaking much. Whoever did it, I adore you, and I think you're so talented and brilliant, and you have such an artistic eye, and you know what... I I just think you're a genius. I love this cover so much. It is very pretty. It's so pretty. I gotta admit, though, I don't get the whole symbolism of the serpent and the dove. Like, I've been to church and stuff. But I'm not a religious enough to understand the symbolism behind it. But I think I I would buy this book just for the cover, not knowing anything about the book. It is a very pretty. You know, the whole thing with don't judge a book by its cover, you absolutely I, do. I do it all the time. Like, if I think a book looks cool, you bet I'm going to try to read it. If the cover makes me excited, then I'm excited to read it. Like, that, I just think that cover is so gorgeous. It is really pretty. Like, you have the dove in the background that's a little bit muted, and then you have, like, the serpent that's, like, in gold, and, like, the gold is, like, shiny. And then the black and gold aesthetic, and the fact that the snake is the and. Oh, I just love it. (laughs) I love this cover. That's a good one. It's just so pretty. It's so pretty. Props to to the cover artist. Yeah. Actually, I think they say who it is on the inside. Let me see. If in the first few... The jacket art is by Cat Fat, and the jacket design is by Sarah Nicole Kaufman. Props to you guys. So, you guys are wonderful people. and Very you, creative. Very creative, and you have just done greatness. Just like all of it. Like inside. And also, I like the text they chose. It's the font? Not, yeah. Like the, it's, it's not one you see a lot, but I think it's effective. Yeah, it's almost like futuristic, but it has curves. And (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth discussion about Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin. We hope that you will join us in our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird... Which happens. If you made it this far, get ready for some bloopers. Bloop, bloop. Like, if I saw a girl 
eating popcorn one by one, I'd go, wow, now that's a lady. But oh, <laughs> don't make out with people next to corpses. Spoiler alert! This is my... The first, the, the, yeah! I remember that substitute heard us arguing when he goes, wait, 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 but guys, how do you say creek? Uh, creek? Some people say crick. Crick? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> it triggers an instinct that you didn't know you have. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's almost primal. Yeah. You taste the butter and you're gone. <laughs> I try to make homemade popcorn, so not just like in the bag, like pop, pop, pop. Well, okay, all popcorn goes pop. <laughs> I'm just questioning everything now. <laughs> my life, my love, my beliefs. Never your wit. I question that sometimes. Don't you dare. <laughs> Walking into Morgan's trap, quite literally. She was like, yeah, I'm sad. Captured. I mean, come on. <laughs> Did you like the witch slap? I loved the witch slap. <laughs> Fur. 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 E. Four. Egg. You. <laughs> Crick. <laughs> I would like to be Coco. Thank you. I would be Coco. Yeah. Right? Oh, I probably would be Lou, though. Yeah. You'd be both. You'd be Loco. <laughs> <laughs> True. When I eat popcorn, I'm just so desperate. Oh, right? It's <laughs> not... Like, who, does anyone eat popcorn one by one? Like, I just do handles and go, ha, ha, And, and I spill all over <laughs> I, I'm just so monstrous. I think when I eat popcorn, that's at my most, I'm at my most carnal state. <laughs> Colonel state. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to her mom before the sacrifice. And, okay, that's great. Your mom doesn't love you. <laughs> we sound so terrible. <laughs> Uh, oof, that took half my brain right there. <laughs> I need a juice box. <laughs> also, she's like, I'm your mom. <laughs> Hellfire. He thinks he's all that. I'm like, dude, I could break your spine with a pinky, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Not certain. But she did But also, die. How, how much can magic heal, though? Because she died. <laughs> <laughs> Like, she was just like, shoop, shoop, shoop. Oh, magic. <sighs> Would he be a warlock? Is that? No, we're just going to call him a witch. Because then we can still make those bitch buns. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, if he didn't eat sticky buns, though, he'd be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Because I'm like, yeah, I think like Cedric Diggory. And then there's like the whole thing with like, why was he so nice to Harry? But then they're like, oh, wait, he dies sad. He was a Hufflepuff. He was a Hufflepuff. And he was a hot Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff. Really? Every time I take the quiz on Pottermore, I'm a Hufflepuff. I feel like you're Gryffindor. Every time it says Huffle. I took the Patronus test more than once. It's just because just I was like, okay, if I get the same animal twice, then that's like for sure my Patronus. Because I kept getting a different one every time. And so then I got a lion and a lioness. On different times, so I was like, oh, look at what you, oh, wow, my Patronus is a lion. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> oh. Like, ooh. Thank you all so much for doing <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, goodness. I mean. Oh. oh. <laughs> You're just gonna 
hold cookies though and not even offer some almond flour vegan cookies? Oh. Thanks. Maybe not. Why bring Russia into it? <laughs> oh. Okay. Actually, I saw this one movie called Frozen. It's not. It's not the Frozen you're thinking of. It's not. It's about these people who get stuck on a ski lift and everyone at the ski resort goes home so no one's there and they have to stay on the ski lift for like three days. What? And <laughs> that's like when someone, like if, if someone got hit by a car and you're like, oh, I got you a get well present. It's a toy car. You know, like, you, <laughs> it's not the time. <laughs> also, it bugs me because there wasn't any description of any use of protection and or contraceptives. Oh, Kami, it stresses me out so much. I'm like, be responsible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't just do it on rooftops for fun. No! You gotta think. You gotta stop. (laughs) Drop and roll. (laughs) I mean, it actually kind of stresses me out in books, though, when they don't mention it, because... Then my mind goes, oh, then is she going to be pregnant in, like, the next book or something? Because I'm like, because they didn't. Because <laughs> they didn't. Oh, I mean, not to say that if you don't use protection, you're automatically going to be pregnant. But, like, it's a pretty high chance. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bodies are effective. <laughs> like, I, people who climb Mount Everest, that's awesome for them. I personally don't get it, though. <laughs> I mean, I could imagine... I, I would hate nothing more than doing that. I can't breathe that it is. So put me up on a mountain that tall. Uh. Like the only thing that I could see like, oh yeah, that'd be a really great thing for me to do would be for the view. But then I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, okay, okay. Let's think about this. Helicopter. You, yes. <laughs> also, if you like, if you want, yeah, you know, why not actually, okay, wait, we'll go back to that. Um, <laughs> Is okay if you're looking, if you're on the top of Mount Everest and there's like this view, you're not gonna see much other than other mountains that are just smaller. <laughs> but also, you can't be stay up on the top of Mount Everest for long. You can only stay up there for like five minutes. You put down a little flag on a pile, look at the view, and then you almost die. So you have to go down. So you do, okay, isn't it like a three-day trip something or something like that? Because, like, you're trying to hike up with no oxygen? I I don't know how long it is, but I know it takes time and that you have to have, most people have to have oxygen. Some people have to show up everyone else, I guess. (laughs) Their lungs do great. But most people take up oxygen, but when they get to the top, they literally cannot stay there for more than five minutes. Am I remembering this right? I'm pretty sure that's the thing. There's literally no point. I'd be like, I, I can't be sit and breathe for one <laughs> second. <laughs> I just climbed 80,000 miles just to get here. Just be like, yeah, I'm just going to take the helicopter without all of that nonsense. <laughs> a, a helicopter would fly up. I go, there's a freaking helicopter option. <laughs> <laughs> I could have avoided this. Wait, okay, let's. Now I'm curious. What if I got it wrong? How long can you stay on the top of Everest for? 15 minutes. So most people say less. Less than 15 minutes. Wait, crossover? Wait, who who has a Frozen Mortal <laughs> Instruments crossover? What? Someone, okay, 
the darndest things get crossed over in fan fiction. 